for the economic warrior. My money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's a rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. And good afternoon, everybody. My name is Barry James Dyke, and you're here at The Economic Warrior Show. And I get my... Uh, Engineer here, Phil Clogger, handsome Phil. That's me. And Will Pierce, uh, my sidekick. Right and uh, we have a great show today. We're going to have David McKnight. And actually, we're going to be uh, contacting him from his new home in Puerto Rico um, today. But uh, Some good investment opportunities and, and, down there. Well, it's a, it's a great place to uh, – actually, it's it's a great place to uh, uh, to make money now because of the low income tax rates. And uh, I'll ask Dave about that later. But uh, – we have a great show. Uh, we're going to d- talk about David McKnight's uh, documentary movie, The Power of Zero, about the tax situation and the d- the debt situation, which is the biggest problem in the United States today uh, uh, and, and most of the world. And happy holidays, everybody. And uh, David, uh, Barry Dyke, um, uh, great to uh, – And I, let me uh, break my heart. What's the weather like in Puerto Rico today? Is it nice and warm? Gosh, let me look out the window. Well, it's pretty sunny as usual, so um, <laughs> we're uh, we're enjoying the heat. I know you guys don't. Uh, I lived in Wisconsin for 15 years, so I, I know what you guys are dealing with right now. Yeah, so it's cold, but anyhow. So, so thanks so much for having uh, uh, being on our show today. And by the way, uh, when I send out the announcement about uh, having you on, I get a lot of replies from people around the country to say hello. One guy was Kelly Wade out in uh, Salt Lake City. He's, he knows you, and um, and then. Uh, sure. And David uh, uh, Buckhold, uh, Buckwald, uh, down in New Jersey, great guy. Sure. Remember, he was the guy. He had all the clients were uh, in the nine eleven um, uh, disaster, and uh, he had all those life insurance claims. But anyhow, those guys, they they both set to say hello. Good, very good. Thank you. All right. So anyhow, so I watched your movie last night. Hats off, David. Very, very excellent job. You did a great job on that, and. Um, yeah, you really, really did, and and it's and you have some great people, and uh, um, so we want to talk about the the power of zero, the movie, and uh, and by the way, can can people buy copies of that DVD, whatever? I'd even like to have it just as a. Uh, can people buy that? Or yeah, so it- financial financial advisors can buy copies if they go to thetaxtrain.com forward slash shop. Um, they can buy copies there. Um, technically the public is not supposed to be able to buy them, but if you know a financial advisor, you can persuade the financial advisor to buy a copy through that website and then give you a copy. Or you can go to, uh, tug.com, T-U-G-G.com and see if there's a, a screening of it in the theater, uh, in your neighborhood. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's, a, it's, a, again, it's a great message. I'd, li- I'd like to buy some just for my clients and, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great, great message because, uh, we're both on the same page, okay? But so, please just tell our audience what's the power of zero all about? Yeah, so the power of zero is a book that I wrote uh, back in 2014. Uh, basically, makes the case that uh, given the fiscal condition of our country, given massive unfunded obligations in the form of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. 
that uh, and, and the national debt that doesn't seem to be abating at all, that we will <clears throat> likely have tax rates in the future, even 10 years from now, that will be dramatically higher than they are today, um, which sort of flies in the face of the message that we've always been getting, which is pardon me, that tax rates in retirement will be much lower than they were during our working years. Hmm. Yeah. And so the, the, the message of the book uh, and ultimately, the movie is that if tax rates are going to go up, then we should completely change uh, our approach to retirement. We should start looking more at tax-free vehicles because uh, the basic premise of a 401k or an IRA is that you get a tax deduction when you put the money in. Um, if we're at historically low tax rates right now, it doesn't make uh, sense to get a deduction at historically low tax rates only to postpone the payment of those taxes until a point in time when tax rates could be dramatically higher than they are today. So it's just we're trying to affect a, a paradigm shift among uh, mostly among the 75 million baby boomers out there who are head, heading towards a, you know, a tax apocalypse when all this hits the fan in 10 or 12 years. Yeah, and it does. Um, now, can you just I know and I, I have some great questions for you, um, but how big is the the debt situation this is this is you know this is essentially we're we're borrowing today to uh, uh you know we're essentially taking the debt and we're putting it on to the next generation which i have children and you have seven children and which i think is just morally wrong uh, but how bad is the debt situation really hello Hi, sorry, I'm st- I'm I'm still here. Okay, I, I lost you when you, when you said uh, my seven children were morally wrong. No, 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 no. I said we have no, we have seven. You have seven children, but I'm saying I think it's really passing on the debt to your children or to my children. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I must have cut out at that point. Um, sorry, go go on with your question. So my my question: How big is the debt problem in America today? How yeah. big is it really? Yeah, it depends on who you listen to. Um, the government, the publicly stated debt is $22 trillion, or approaching $22 trillion. The two, two twos followed by 12 zeros. Um, the problem is that number doesn't really tell the whole story um, because there's, there's, there's what we call off-the-books obligations that the government has basically promises that the, the government has made by law to pay for things like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid that are not figured into that number. So if we, Barry, were in any other country in the world, uh, any other country who does their accounting in a responsible way, our, our, our national debt would actually be closer to $200 trillion. And this is according to one of the foremost experts on national debt and fiscal accounting in the country uh, named Larry Kotlikoff. He's a Ph.D. out of Boston University. He basically says if you add up the future, uh, the future value of all of the promises that we've made, that that the real true debt number in our country is $200 trillion, which means that our debt-to-GDP ratio is not 100%, which a lot of people think is okay. I actually think it's a little high. Uh, but our true debt-to-GDP ratio is 1,000%. Um, every other country in the world does their accounting that way except for us. So looking at all of the other countries in the world, the second worst country in the world is, is uh, Japan at 250%. So we're four times worse than the second-place guy. And, um, you know, that, that tax bill is going to come due someday, probably sooner rather than later. And so um, part of the problem is not just the spending, but it's the manner in which we report that spending. 
so we yeah you know, so I didn't I didn't get that in the documentary, but the um, so essentially we we account for our debt differently than everyone else does, then, huh? Yeah, and uh, it's we we do so at our own peril, you know. As the movie suggests, uh, there's 20 different Nobel laureates that live within the borders of our country that have petitioned the federal government to do our accounting in the same way that everybody else does. And I think that if we did our, our public accounting in the same way as every other country in the world, there would be a significant public uh, uproar associated with that. Uh, I think that we pull the wool over the uh, Americans' eyes by, by telling them that the problem is only one-tenth as big as it really is. Yeah, and we, we can see, I don't know if you've seen online, uh, David, the um, the problems associated with uh, additional taxes, um, which we've seen, I don't know, have you seen any of the stuff on, which going on in France with the Gillette uh, Jean, um, the, the, the yellow jacket protesters? It's just, you know, they're, they're rioting in the streets because of increased taxes. Um, have you seen, I mean, not that we're, not that we're like the French Revolution, but... This is what could. Yeah, yeah, this, you know, you see that in the news all the time. Um, and here's the scary part: we look at all of these world events that come about because of too much debt. I mean, look, let's face it: the reason why they raise taxes is because these governments, especially in Greece and other places, have promised way more than they can afford to deliver. And when it comes down to crunch time, and they have to deliver on those promises, they don't have the money. And so all these people that are relying on these promises. Now get the carpet pulled out from other from underneath them, and that's what causes them to riot. That's what causes them to burn things because of the the austerity measures that get put into place. So we're we're not quite there yet. But as Tom McClintock uh, in the movie, he's a congressman out of California, he's a member of the Republican Budget Committee. He says there will come a time, probably about eight years from now, when we will start to see the types of things that we see in these other countries due to either massive tax increases. Massive reductions in spending, or some combination of the two. Yikes! And what is also um, what we hear in the news today: that Trump wants to. Uh, what's also explain to the public what happens if interest rates go up? Because interest rates eventually have to go back up, David. Um, yeah. So here's an interesting fact for your listeners, Barry. You know, we're we're spending about as much money on uh, debt service today. As we did back in 2003, when the national debt was only about five trillion, and people say, "How can that be?" Well, back then, interest rates were about five percent. For the last ten years, they've been about, you know, they've been lower than two percent. But there will come a day, and we're starting to see this, when uh, interest rates return to historically normal levels. In which case, okay, so now we have four times as much debt. If we have um, you know, four times as much debt and interest rates return to where they were in 2003, you can do the math. We're going to be spending four times as much money on debt service. So consider, you know, consider how the federal government would pay for four times. I mean, as George Schultz, uh, former Secretary of State under Reagan, said in our movie, he says, hey, look, we're at the crisis moment right now because we're on this path where you know, the, the, the interest in all this debt is going to crowd every other item out of the budget, every single single thing that we pay for, and, and some things that we're required to pay for by law that the that politicians have no control over unless they change the law, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, those things are all going to, uh, those, those, those benefits will not be able to be paid out simply because we will be required to pay the interest on that debt, and it's unthinkable 
to consider the implications of defaulting on that debt. When you default on that debt, that would precipitate a global depression because all of a sudden people look at America and say they can no longer deliver on their promises. And we have long been the sort of the bulwark of the geopolitical financial world for, for years and years and years. It would literally precipitate a, you know, a depression if we couldn't deliver on those promises. So uh, it's we're, we're marching into a very uncertain future. Yeah, and um, let me ask you um, something. This is a personal. Um, we have seven children. What do you? Now, how old's the oldest, David? Uh, oldest seventeen. Youngest is three. You, know, <laughs> you got a full house there in the McKnight family. But, uh, I sure do. Uh, that's wonderful. But so, what are you t- telling your children? Uh, because I just see this as reckless um, uh, government, just out of control. Um, so what are you telling your children, How do you, uh, son or your daughter, what are you telling them, um, you know, uh, the greatest gift a father can give is to, you know, give advice to his kids. So what are you telling your kids to do? Yeah, I, I don't talk about it all that much with my, my, with my kids because they've got a lot on their plate. The most yeah. I tell them is like, yes, tell my boys, uh, in your lifetime, you will see someone living on the moon and living on Mars. That's about as good as it gets right there. Um, and part of the reason why, I think, you know, Al Gore and, you know, Ross Perot back in the day, they said, we're we're putting all this on a credit card and are, you know, we're demanding that our grandchildren pay for it. Well, I think those days are over. It's no longer the grandchildren. It's no longer the children. It's us. We're going to be paying for it. So to, to think that we're going to offload all of this onto future generations, that was an idea that was popular 20 years ago. But if you look at where tax rates have to go even 10 years from now, You'll realize that we can't we, 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 we can't afford to offload it to the next generation because we'll be bankrupt before uh, this generation is dead. Okay, so we this, there's a lot more urgency to this. Uh, so I'm worried about how we're going to pay for this stuff, how we're going to be able to afford the taxes that uh, inevitably rise as a result of all this financial mismanagement, and much less so our children. I mean, our children almost certainly are going to be paying 50% tax rates in their lifetime. The question is, how much are the 75 million baby boomers who have $21 trillion sitting in tax-deferred vehicles like 401ks and IRAs? How much how, how much taxes are, are those people going to have to pay uh, in, you know, in as short as the next 10 years? Yeah, and that's where the savings – what are your what are the statistics of where the savings are today? I think we were talking about this yesterday, but how much – you know, because Americans as a whole, we're kind of the, uh, the worst savers in the, in the civilized world uh, – um, yeah. the Irish, the I mean, Swiss, had, everyone is, they, we they, they, negative savings we have negative savings time. rates and Saving I think, enough. so we're not like two, 3%. We're, we're horrible. So, but if, but the, uh, and it's, but so, but of the savings uh, in, in America, would you, would you consider resa- retirement savings? How much of that is in qualified plans, which would be fire, 401ks, uh, IRAs, that type yeah. of thing versus this regular after tax savings money. Do you get, do you have a figure on that, David? Yeah, so you've, if, if you look and, and you're talking about what I refer to in my book as the tax-deferred bucket versus the tax-free bucket, um, the tax-deferred bucket, the cumulative 401Ks and IRAs and other qualified plans across the country is about $21 trillion, um, whereas if you added up all of the, the Roth IRAs, which are after-tax dollars, um, that adds up to about $800 billion. So it's about a 22-to-1 ratio. So people say, hey, Dave, what happens if they decide to tax my Roth IRA down the road? 
and saying, hey, why would they even bother with your Roth IRA? That's a pittance compared to the sitting duck of those 401ks and IRAs. Because I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that we have $21 trillion of debt. We've got 21 or $22 trillion sitting in these tax-qualified accounts. All we'd have to do to liquidate that debt is raise taxes to 100% on those particular accounts. And you and I have talked in the past yeah. about how countries have confiscated accounts. Venezuela. <laughs> or ra- raised taxes so high as to be pro- prohibitive to even use these accounts. So it's uh, it's a scary proposition. And when the, when Uncle Sam is painted into a corner and has very few options um, to maintain financial solvency, they're going to start pulling out some of the more extreme uh, solutions, which involve uh, dramatic tax increases, dramatic benefit cuts, uh, more likely uh, some combination of the two. Yeah, so I don't know if, uh, how long you've been an advisor, David, but I remember back, were you in, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, early 90s, late 90s? I'm trying to remember. No, I, I got my start in 1997. 97, okay. Well, any event, so back at back when you, right when you started, David, um, if you remember, we had the unified credit of about a million dollars, which is a husband and wife could pass about a million bucks on right. to, uh, you know, without any income taxes or uh, estate taxes. But do you realize, okay, roughly 20 years ago, but of course in America, we forget everything, um, that the the estate tax on the qualified plans could be taxed. Uh, and there was a lot of research on it. They, back then, this is only 20 years ago, a, a, a 401k balance or a retirement plan balance could be taxed as much as ninety five percent. You know, and I, and I, you know, yeah, I, if you, if I don't know how many of your uh, readers have read um, the retirement savings tax bomb and how to defuse it by Ed Slot, but if you look on the back of your of the cover of that book, he talks about how the federal government is is standing by waiting to consume ninety percent of your IRAs at death. And uh, back then, you had very little credit for the estate tax, um, very, very little offset. You, you, so you could potentially pay uh, federal tax, state tax, federal estate tax, uh, state state tax um, <laughs> at death. And all of, those, all of those taxes, when they combine together, leave you nothing left. It reminds me of Ronald Reagan back in... World War II, he never made more than two movies in a year. Reason being, he made about $100,000 per movie. Any dollar he made above and beyond $200,000, he only kept six cents on the dollar. But that six cents actually went to the state of California. So it actually didn't make sense for Ronald Reagan to work past the month of June, like I mentioned in my movie. So he took the rest of the year off. He started making his movies January 1st the following year. That's what it used to be like to to, to die with with money in your IRAs. All right. Um, uh my sidekick, Will Pierce. Okay, all right. So I, I'm going to. Um, we're going to have to take a break. And then, uh, by the way, uh, let me ask you a question. In the movie, you, you did a. This shows you uh, being interviewed. iHeartRadio. When, when was that interview done? Do you remember when that uh, was? That interview would have been done. God, um, you're really putting me on the spot here. Pro- probably um, March of 2018, maybe. Oh. By the way, it's it's uh, I I am gonna get some DVDs. And I uh, tell people to get the the Power of Zero your book. It's on Amazon as well. Am I correct? 
It's on Amazon. Uh, financial advisors, if they want to buy it in bulk, they're better off going to thepowerofzerobook.com so they can get bulk discounts. Amazon, for some reason, doesn't allow bulk discounts, so you have to sort of create your own storefront for that. Okay. So thepowerofzerobook.com. Okay. Oh, yeah, but some of, the, some of the listeners, they just want to buy a single copy, they can pick it up on Amazon. But anyhow, That's David— the best play. If you, if you just want to buy one copy, Amazon's the best place. Yeah, so um, in any event— um, but this is the question I had. The reason why I asked you to do uh, iHeartRadio, and I thought it was it was it was a it's a great movie, by the way. You did a fantastic job. I, I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, but the irony of the whole thing is, is this, so you did this March interview to last year, this year uh, for the uh, for the movie, roughly around then, David, roughly there. Yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. Well, you know who went bankrupt in the same month on March 15, 2018? Uh, no, I I don't. iHeartRadio. So oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah they, I remember they were they were having some rough spots. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, so the, I'm just saying because it is the largest broadcaster in the United States. Um they own like 855 stations and it was uh, taken over by Bain Capital and uh Thomas H Lee and they did all kinds of financial engineering and the, I just thought there was irony what I'm saying is that yeah, and then yeah, they filed debt uh, they filed bankruptcy in uh, March 15, 2018. With more than twenty billion in debt, and and the thing no, is that kidding. yeah. So my point is, David, uh, it's part of a club, and you are not, you are not, you and I are not in it. But uh, if I guess if we're running a financier, we can uh, discharge uh, billions. But uh, if we're regular people, we can't uh, discharge this debt. And um, uh, but they, I just figured that uh, I just saw the irony of it, and it was a, it's a great movie. And uh, um, but uh, so yeah, they did file bankruptcy, and. Um, and so there's been other numerous ones like Toys R Us and so forth. But um, so, how has the message been received by the uh, the American people, David, about the power of zero? Well, so the big the big question that people have after they read my book is, well, you you make this case, you almost paint this apocalyptic landscape in your first chapter of the fiscal condition of our country and how bad things are going to get. Is it really as bad as you say? And, you know, mostly who I quote in that first chapter is David Walker. And, I mean, who else would you want to quote other than the former Comptroller General of the federal government? I mean, he knows more about these numbers than anyone else on the planet. So it's, it, it made sense to quote him and to see exactly what he, he felt about it. But, you know, sometimes people need more evidence than that. So we, uh, you know, the, the goal was to make a incontrovertible case that tax rates uh, in the next 10 years, are going to be dramatically higher than they are today. And um, I've sat through uh, screenings of this movie with rooms full of people, you know, movie theaters full of people. And afterwards, they come out of there, and there is no doubt in their mind now that tax rates are going to go up. And so the overwhelming uh, reception has been, wow, it's, the, the case is now bulletproof. There's no longer any uncertainty. There's no longer any doubt that tax rates in the future are going to be much, much higher than they are today. You have so many compelling experts. We have PhDs from just about every most prestigious university in the nation. We have, uh, you know, George Schultz, who's had the governor of Utah. We have uh, Ed Slott, who's done six PBS specials. We've got, uh, you know, Larry Kotlikoff, Dave Walker. All of these people make a very compelling, airtight case about where we're headed as a country and why increased taxes is almost certainly going to be the primary means by which the government solves all these problems. And so um, all it's really done has, has been to strengthen our case 
that it's a very dangerous proposition to have most of your retirement sitting on the train tracks in the form of IRAs and 401 ks because there is a massive freight train bearing down, and we've got to systematically reposition these assets to safer tax-free alternatives. Uh, there's no question, and uh, this, you know, so, you know, I'm on. Uh, hey, I'm on your on your camp, David. You know, you, you've read my books, and I'm, by the way, I'll send you the latest copy of my book, Guaranteed Income, which which David Walker uh, wrote the forward to, and and the blessing of doing what we do is sticking our necks out. Is it become friends with these guys, and right. uh, and he right. and, and and there's there's no one with more integrity than David Walker, and uh, and Larry Kokoloff. I mean, he's these guys are smart people. I mean, George, I was surprised you got George Schultz, uh, quite frankly. And uh, Well, you know, get, get, we, we, you know, the filmmaker and I were sitting here, you know, December and January of 2018, and we're saying, okay, we have nobody signed up for this movie. How are we going to get the foremost experts in our country? We never dreamed at that point that we would get George Schultz in the movie. By the way, we didn't even know George Schultz was still alive. The guy's 98 years old. Uh, but he's one of the brightest guys on the planet. He's uh, he's a he's a member. Uh, he's a fellow at the Hoover Institution in, at Stanford. And although we know him as Secretary of State and, and and former Secretary of State anyway, we don't realize that he is one of the brightest economists on the planet. So we started off with nobody. And uh, I knew David Walker because he had edited the first chapter of my book back yep. in 2014. So I. I got a hold of him. He agreed to be in the movie. And once you get David Walker in the movie, people's ears start to perk up. We got Larry Kotlikoff. Larry Kotlikoff, uh, you know, referred us to uh, Alan Arbach out in, in uh, Berkeley. He's a PhD out of Berkeley. And once you get, you start to build your resume in the movie, um, then it's not hard to call up some of these experts and say, all of these different people are already in the movie. Would you like to be in the movie as well? So uh, it, it's it starts small, but then it starts to get really, really big. And at the end, we had the pick of just about any expert we wanted, and we're very felt very fortunate to get the people that we got. Uh, one question: Did you? Um, which is I wonder. I had a great. I got a great email last night. Did you ever interview Catherine Austin Pitts out of uh, Tennessee? I'm just trying to remember. Did you? Uh, no, no, I've not interviewed her yet. All right, but anyway, so that's another story. But uh, there's, there's actually the they're saying the core debt is much higher, and there's a guy who out of University of Michigan, which is it, it's even worse than what you're saying. You know, it's it, it's many. We're going to have her in, on my show on January, but uh, and uh, you know, feel free to uh, use my website because the uh, we're going to uh, post this show on my SoundCloud account, and then we're going to put make it into a YouTube. But um, so it, it's. So thank you, Dave. Uh, you know we need more people like you in the in the uh, in the country to, to speak the truth about this. And you also had your um, uh, your old alma mater because you went to Brigham uh, Brigham Young, right? Which which in Salt right. Lake, right? And 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 some you even had some professors there kind of chime in on it. You know, and that's a very conservative school. Am I correct? I mean, so they kind of agree with yeah, you as yeah. well. Yeah. So we had a professor from BYU, and the reason we had him on is because he had actually been in both political parties. He'd been a liberal at one point. He'd been a conservative <laughs> at one point. He'd been a member of a, a third, you know, a third party uh, political group. And so he's seen all sides of the situation. And basically his point was, yeah, we want all this to change. But when you go through primaries, these electorates elect the most uh, extreme person within that political group to represent them in the primary. And so 
by the time you, these people get elected to, to, to office, they, they've staked out such an extreme position that they're not willing to compromise. They're not willing to reach across the aisle and uh, come up with solutions to the problem. So, like, you know, I, I tell people all the time that the, the, the uh, situation, the best metaphor I could give you is you've got two people in a car. Uh, they both have a hand on the steering wheel. The car is heading towards a cliff, and nobody wants to relinquish control. So that's like the Republicans and Democrats. Nobody wants to give an inch. Nobody wants to make any concessions. So we're going to not compromise ourselves right over a, a fiscal cliff. And I thought that the professor from BYU made that point pretty pretty compellingly the, yeah did they did, did, uh, yeah as i say uh now who who is how how did you know who did the film it was a uh, great job I, I didn't have a chance to look at his clip uh, he did a wonderful job with it i yeah. don't know how he managed he, yeah. he dovetailed everything so the in filmmaker it is a guy named doug orchard he'd done some films for me in the past and when i approached him uh when i approached him initially he was very um not sold on the idea of doing it. But then he started to ask around different people within the industry and said, this film, this film absolutely has to be made because, you know, David Walker made a movie that got nominated for an Academy Award called IOUSA back in, I think, 2009. And he was running across the country with his hair on fire talking about future projections and where the debt was going to end up. And he got, a, you know, he got nominated for Academy Award. And then the discussion about this sort of disappeared. And now here we are, you know, uh, almost 10 years later, and nobody's talking about it anymore. The debt is twice as big as it was back then. So uh, Doug, the, the, the director, realized that we were at this perfect point in history to start talking, uh, to, to at the very least reprise the message, but to specifically target the message towards the 75 million baby boomers who have $22 trillion sitting in 401Ks and IRAs. It's about to get smacked by a massive freight train, uh, and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that they're sitting on the track. So our job is to make them realize that they are sitting on the tracks. There's a tax freight train bearing down on them, and they've got, I would say, eight years to get the money off, uh, and they have to do it systematically, little by little, so they don't rise too dramatically in their tax uh, brackets. But there's still time to, to, uh, you know, to protect your assets, so that's why we're trying to get the word out. Yeah, so uh, the, you must be like me. I don't think the asset management industry likes you too much. I know they don't like me, but uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, God bless you know. So, but the iron the irony of the whole thing is that what you've discovered, and, and, and again, you know, I think really the the thing is really to have people go through an advisor uh, because a lot of the stuff is just too complex. Um, but you, you know, go through a loving and caring advisor, and and. and but um, a lot of the stuff which which works is um, things like life insurance products and things like that, annuities, which no one wants to talk about, do they? No, uh, there's a lot of people don't realize that life insurance annuities have some very mathematically compelling um, studies that have been done about them, and that they're able to accomplish some things that no other investment vehicle, no other investment tool can accomplish. And so there's a lot of stigma that has to be overcome. I mean, these these types of programs have come a long way. They've evolved. And there's lots and lots of studies out, uh, out by PhDs. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, of, of Wade Sow out of the American College. They make very, very compelling cases using, using statistics and uh, Monte Carlo scenarios that demonstrate the power of these, of these types of tools in prolonging retirement and also insulating you from the impact of higher taxes down the road. 
Yeah, it, it, and also there's a pa- paper on the uh, on on the uh, which I didn't realize is that uh, William Sharp, who got the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, uh, David, and uh, and for economics, or I know de- designing the risk ma- uh, management programs, the Sharp Ratio, and the whole thing. Right. He came out with a paper last year. I, if you Google it, uh, he he recommends it. So yeah, and he's like you know, Nobel Peace Prize, and uh, he said he said because. Figuring out retirement income, he said, is the hardest, most difficult pr- problem in all of finance. And um, you'll see in my book. I'll send you. I'm going to send you a copy of your book down to your home there in Puerto Rico. But, uh, but yeah. So I, I just found I discovered this within a, maybe about the past month or two is that even Sharp out of Stanford is uh, recommends this stuff. But uh, you know because uh, you know I always tell people the best investment is always in yourself. You know it's not any financial product, but. Uh, uh, but a lot of the stuff I think people need uh, need to save first and uh, then invest. But I think uh, I don't know how long have you been in the business, David. Since '97. So I think is it still? I kind of do you have the feel that it's like put everything in the market and, and speculate, and really that's the only way to save. I mean, it's kind of what we're indoctrinated to now. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at most of the, most of the blogs, most of the websites, it's accumulate all your money in the stock market. Slowly uh, transition the stock portion of your portfolio over to bonds as time wears on, and never take out more than four percent in any given year. Uh, so you're constrained by the four percent rule. So somebody who wants to live, you know, off of a hundred thousand dollars per year in retirement safely. Uh, needs to have $2.5 million saved, but people don't realize there are lots of tools that you and I talk about every day that has math and science to back it up that can allow you to increase the percentage that you can take out of your assets uh, and never outlive your money. And uh, those those are messages that run contrary to what the stockbroker world will tell you. So there's always been this uh, so we've always been at odds with 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 stockbrokers and, and and stock uh, companies, but the reality is we use math to corroborate everything that we recommend, and so that's something that uh, that I've been laboring over the last twenty years to make more public. Yeah, and there's another study too, which uh, which um, I, I'm putting into a presentation. There's a actually there's another study uh, on um, on uh, uh, TIA craft. You know that they're you know. Uh, Close to a trillion, one of the biggest asset managers in the country, um, you know, for nonprofits. You know, we're, well, they're not really not nonprofit, but in any event, uh, right. they did a great study, 2017 study, uh, David. Now, get this, um, and 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 they were talking about the research on target date funds because my assistant said, "Barry, you got to talk about target date funds." Well, I think did I, did I give you a copy of my book on target date funds? Anyhow, I call them a highway to serfdom, but um, um, <laughs> which they are, but because uh, it's so. Yeah, I mean, I think it, breaking down a nu- nuclear aircraft carrier would be easier than a target date fund. But, um, but the Kreft study, not me, okay, but the Kreft study, uh, and, and they spent a lot of money on this. They said that uh, uh, like uh, 63% of the of those surveyed who own target date funds, because you know they are the, the qualified investment, the main investment for most people now, 63% of the population thought they were – to provide a guaranteed in, uh, an income stream for the rest of their life at, at retirement. Now, and, and 70% said this is what they thought they should do. But guess what? You know and I know, David, they don't guarantee any of this stuff. Right. So, you know, so you know, if, if you want, I can share that with you. But this is, you know, so 
uh, so this is what people believe is it's a, it's a um, perception or deception whatever and uh, you know average target date fund lost 30 percent during 2009 so it's just i don't know a bit uh, but in any event so that's why I, the misinformation out there I, my point is uh, keep going with what you're doing Yeah, no, I agree. I appreciate um, <clears throat> appreciate what you're doing, and uh, grateful that you uh, gave me some time to put the spotlight on the movie as well as the book, because I think it's a timely message, and um, we don't have much time, Barry. I mean, we it used to be that I used to you know say that hey, ten years from now tax rates would likely go up, but we now know the year and the day when tax rates will go up because the current tax Cuts have a, uh, a, a sunset date. They've got an expiration date. We know that January 1st, 2026, tax rates will go up. We know the year and the day when it will happen. So uh, I think we've got eight years of an eight-year window within which to take advantage of historically low tax rates. And come 2026, we will never, ever see tax rates as low as we've seen in, in our lifetime. And people have to understand that the cost of admission to get into the tax-free bucket is you got to be willing to pay a tax. You can either pay it now while tax rates are historically low or later when they're likely to be potentially even twice as high as they are today. So um, there's a there's a, there's a a sweet spot. There's a window of opportunity. And when the time passes and the window closes, you will not be able to go back in time. We will look back in 2030 at the tax rates that you and I pay today and say, that was the deal of the century. Those were the we days. How advantage yeah. of those tax rates while they were historically low? Yeah, because we're, we're during World War II around 95%, something like that. As, as... Yeah, so 94% was as worse as it ever got in our country. Certainly, deductions were a little bit different back then, and, and, the, and the income thresholds that govern those tax brackets were a little bit different. But I would make the case that in our lifetime, or you and me, you and me, Barry, that yep. this is as low as we're going to see in our lifetime. And uh, if that's the case, that should inform a lot of different retirement planning decisions uh, over the course of the next eight years. Because if we just kick the can down the road, we will find ourselves in a position eight to ten years from now where we don't have very many choices about what we can do with our money. Yeah. Wake wake up, America. You know, it's just uh, – did, did you have a question, Will? Yeah. How would, are these uh, life insurance products, how would they be treated differently than, uh, you know, where you're talking about confiscation of uh, 401Ks? Yeah, I don't. I don't use the word confiscation much. Uh, what I what I mean simply is that uh, they will raise tax rates so high that, and people have to recognize when you put money in a four hundred one k or an IRA, you are going into a business partnership with the IRS. Every year, they get to vote on what percentage of your profits they get to keep. Not a very good business to have when it comes to your retirement. So my only point is they could raise their portion of your 401k so high that you're, you're left with very little, uh, very little uh, to, to, to be impactful in, in terms of your retirement. So uh, what we do know about some of these life insurance policies, what I like to call in my book, the life insurance retirement plan, is that historically they've always been grandfathered. They will routinely change the rules on these programs over time. Yeah. But historically they've always said whoever has this program in place before the tax rules change gets to keep it and continue to put money into it under the old rule for the rest of their lives. We call it a grandfather clause. So uh, we do know that Roth IRAs and 401ks would probably not likely enjoy that same type of treatment simply because uh, they may say, hey, look, if you've got tax-free money in your Roth IRA today, you can keep it, but you can't continue to put money into it under the old rule. So uh, I'm convinced a lot of these generous 
tax-free programs will disappear over time. Uh, and once they do, you can't turn back the clock and, uh, and start contributing to them again. So I think that the life insurance retirement plan is unique in that respect because if you have it today and they change the rule tomorrow, you can keep it and continue to put money into it for the rest of their lives. And I don't think any of those other accounts, government-sponsored accounts, will enjoy that tax treatment. Yeah, and, and the and the irony of the whole thing is is that uh, you know I've, I've I've had the benefit of um, some really uh, some some folks with some really uh, wealthy uh, friends and clients, whatever, and they they they, they, did, they can't believe it, but um, but as my research shows, David, you know uh, that that the banks and the corporations and, uh, and even the you know guys like Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen, they're all buying these products and. And, you know, and J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and all this stuff, they're buying these things in, in a very, very big way. So how much are you traveling now, David? How many speeches are you doing a year now? You, you're, you're always like the, the man on the go, and that's what, when people see your movie. You're, you're always on a plane. You're still doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still on the go. I do about 75 speaking events a year. Um, they ebb and flow. There are months where I don't do any, and there's other months where I'll do 10 in a month. So uh, yeah, I'm, I've been I've been actively on the road for about four four and a half years now, trying to get the message out and speaking to various groups and uh, groups of advisors, groups of just people from the public, and it's been very gratifying because the message has been very warmly received. Um, but we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and so and Random House picked up the book too. So how's that going? When did they when did Random House pick up your book? Yeah, so I I self published the book back in 2014. I uh, put it out on Amazon, fingers crossed, hoping for the best. And little did I know, people just—it it sort of went viral, as the millennials would say. Uh, and you know, in the course of the next four years, it sold about 150,000 copies, uh, which of course attracted the attention of Penguin Random House. So what they did was they updated and revised it. We put in a new chapter for the Trump tax cuts, uh, where I talk about what's what you know why that's a, a historical opportunity, why I call it the tax sale of a lifetime. And they republished it um, the first week of September this year. And when it got published, it, uh, it was the number two most sold business book in the world that week. So the message is resonating. People are embracing it. And uh, we're excited about where, you know, where things are headed. Well, David, thank you so much. Let's keep in touch. And how can people find out more about you, David, and, uh, and the movie? Again, go to... Uh, they, can, they can find out about me at davidmcknight.com. They can learn more about the movie at thetaxtrain.com. Fantastic. Well, it's been it's been real, and uh, thank you so much, David, and uh, God bless, and keep pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, my man. Okay. Thanks for your time, Barry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?